<laughs> I don't know about you, but have you ever got that feeling that life is just racing? I mean, I don't think I was the only one that said last year, wow, time is just flying by. I spent so much time last year saying Christmas is coming. It started in January. Christmas will be here before you know it. July comes. We'll be putting those decorations up before we know it. Time just seems to be flying by. And uh, it's just amazing what God has done over the last year. And I'm excited to know what he's going to do this year. Amen? Amen? Well, I came across some statistics this week. And um, I found out that the average life expectancy is around the age of 80 years old. And, um, but you know what? What we do in those 80 years can matter, right? Now, they said that about, we'll spend roughly about four years of our lives on the phone at work, okay? We will spend more than a year in traffic jams, right? And according to a new survey by the British Parking Association, we will spend 248 days searching for a parking space. Not me. I don't know about you, but I get into intercessory warfare prayer as soon as I enter that car park, right? Yes. And I say, if I've got my kids with me, I'm like, kids, we need to pray. And I'm on the wheel and it's like, in the name of Jesus, Father, you find me that parking space. And I am specific with my prayers. I want to be by Marks and Spencer's entrance. So I'll be like, kids, pray that we get the parking space by Marks and Spencer. Father, I pray you just provide, that you make a way. I'm sure Jesus turns to God and says, is she trying to part the Red Sea or what? No, she's in Foss Park trying to find a parking space next to Marks and Spencer's. And as soon as it happens, when you get in that space, a big smile across my face, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I feel like his favorite all of a sudden, you know? And then I tell my kids, see kids, God works. I'm proving God to my kids through answering my prayer to find me a parking space. See, I don't think I'm the only one. Princess is with me. <laughs> well, how many of you retail fans out there and you enjoy a bit of shopping? How about we spent eight and a half years I spent shopping? While 30, they reckon about 13 years we spend of our lives listening to music, right? When you look at sleeping, how many years do you reckon we spend sleeping? A lot, right? Well, if, you, if you've been sleeping soundly, it's usually between uh, about 26 years we'll spend of our lives sleeping. We spend an average of eight months laughing, five weeks arguing, and 30 hours crying during our lifetime. That's a lot of crying, right? <laughs> what an emotional bunch of people. How about exercise? Oh, here we go. Seven in ten people in the UK claim they exercise regularly. If we believe them, that means they spend 15 months of an adult lifetime working out, which I thought, oh, that's quite, that's not too bad, actually. That's manageable, right? How about social media? Oh, here we go. Facebook users dedicate more than three years of their life to post in social media updates about the life instead of living it. That's true, right? 
But the majority of us here in this room can look back and reflect on the time and think, am I spending my time wisely? Are there some adjustments that I, that I need to make that can prevent me from wasting time? And how about making more room for God in our lives, right? Now, when I mean God, it not only includes, includes church service time, but allowing myself to sit in his presence, to talk to him, but not only me talking to him, me listening and hearing from him. Amen? You might be thinking, oh no, not another thing. What else have I got to give up now? <laughs> but the reality is you can develop your life in such a way when God gets a bit more of your time, things begin to change. We begin to change. I begin to change. The more time I spend with him. See, time is precious. There seems to be less and less of it available for us to do the things that we want to do. But it's important that we allow to make more time for God because he deserves it. But not only that, we actually become more productive. Those things that we do that take over our lives can be seen as a God. Maybe it's exercise, maybe excessive exercise, I should say. Maybe it's excessive shopping or watching TVs, listening to music or uh, social media, just to name a few. If you've ever gone through partnership class, I've often mem- mentioned in, in chapter 10 when it talks about uh, worship, how we worship, created to worship. Um, we talk about idols and how things can become an idol in our life. Psalm 135.18 says, and, and those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. How about Psalm 16, verse 4 says, Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. See, things that become a god in our life is something that replaces the god, right? Well, we become like what we worship. So if God takes preeminence in our life, then we will be able to carry more of him, more of his glory in our hearts as we make more room for him. So if we're not worshiping enough, we worship more. If we're not praying enough, we pray more. If we're not giving enough, we give more. Because when we allow these things and more to become the main thing in our life, change happens, doors open, And dare I say, doors close. God says yes, God says no. But there's something in us that gains a perspective that sees not with the natural eyes, but with spiritual eyes that God has got this. He's got my life. He's got it mapped out. He's got it figured figured out. And there, there comes a level of trust between me and God that says all things work together for good to those who are called those that are invited, those that are appointed according to whose purpose? His purpose, not mine. But when you grasp an understanding of who God is and how he works, how he wants to be in our lives, how he wants us to be carriers of his glory, then let it go in those things that hinder us. Knowing the fullness of God, our spiritual eyes begin to enlarge. And we begin to see the bigger picture. My prayer is this morning, God, unveil our eyes. Unveil my eyes to see more of you in the everyday situation. Rather than struggling in my own strength, I can see, God, you're working things out. The promise that Buzz mentioned this morning, God does not lie to us. If he's promised it, he will fulfill it. But you know what? We've got to understand our God. 
We have to understand his glory. I want us to turn in the Bible to Exodus 33. Now this is the part of the story when the children of Israel, okay, Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai. The children of Israel are camped at the bottom. And Moses has gone up to get, he gets the Ten Commandments. God starts speaking to him about the tabernacle that he wants to build with the children of Israel. But the children of Israel at that time get impatient. They're like, where, where is Moses? When is he, where is our leader? When is he ever going to come? And they take matters into their own hands and they start bringing all their gold. And as they bring all their gold, they melt it down and they build this golden calf. And they begin to worship it. Moses come back. Actually, God told, told Moses, he said, you need to go back down. Those people, they're, they're, they're just they're living their lives in evil. You need to come back down. So Moses comes back down. He hears all the commotion, but he hears singing and dancing. They're all, and they're all dancing around this big golden calf, worshiping it as if it was their God. And here we come to the part of the story where God is ticked off of the people. He's like, that's it. I've had enough of these stiff-necked people after all that I've done for them. And this is what they do to me. And here we read in Exodus 33 where God intervenes and begs God, don't do this. Don't wipe them out. And God meets with Moses again. Exodus 33 verse 7 says this. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend, and he, he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Verse 12 says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight... Show me now your way, that I may know you, that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. From how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I. From all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. And he said, Moses said to the God, please show me your glory. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth this morning. Father God, I pray that, Lord, that you would just open up our hearts and our minds to see you for who you are. How great a God that you are. That, Lord, you're working on our behalf all the time, Lord Jesus. 
Father, we love you this morning and we just pray, God, that, Lord, that your name would be lifted high and your name would be glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Moses' passionate plea was found in Exodus 18 when he said, please show me your glory. That Hebrew word for glory right there is the word kabod, where it is the weight of something, but not figuratively, but it's in a good sense. Its definition speaks of splendor, abundance, and honor. Moses was asking, show me yourself in all your splendor. Moses wanted that intimate knowledge of God himself. He, he had spent quality time with God. He would have witnessed amazing miracles from the time when God called him to be the leader of the children of Israel right up to where they were at that present time. He would have seen God move when the plagues were unleashed upon the, the Egyptian people. He would have seen God move with the, the Red Sea parting, the manna coming down from heaven. He would have tasted the bitter waters and he would have tasted them sweet again. His relationship with the Lord would have gone from strength to strength. There, there was no denying the greatness of his God because all excuses would have ceased. Have a look in Exodus 33 verse 19. Look where it carries on. And God said after Moses had asked that question to God, please show me your glory. God says this, I will make all my goodness pass before you. He refers to his glory as his goodness. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. That's important. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. And so it shall be when my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses wanted to look, wanted to see and learn more of God, but the full of extent of God's glory would be, be too much for Moses to handle. So instead, God said, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Moses requested all of God's glory, but God referred to it as his goodness. When you look at that, that Hebrew word for goodness, it means good in the widest sense. In other words, nothing is withheld. David understood this in Psalm 23 when he said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God's goodness wants to chase us down. It wants to follow us, but not in a little mindset that we might have, like a small amount. It's the widest sense possible. God's goodness, nothing is withheld. Not only that, but God declared to Moses his name as Lord. He declared his name as Lord, as Jehovah. He was revealing his character and attributes to Moses. See, as Moses looked on and saw God's goodness revealed, we today, living in New Testament times, carry the hope of glory in our hearts. But the more we understand the glory of God, the greater our desire would be for us to be the vessels that would say, Father, show me your glory. Reveal your glory in my heart, Lord. Help me understand more of you that I may desire, desire, want more of you in my heart. 
There is an invitation, the psalmist writes in Psalm 47, verse 7. And it says this, for, for God is the king of all the earth. And then he says, sing praises with understanding. Yes. The writer wants us to understand what we are worshiping. We need to understand what we are praising and what we are worshiping and what we are glorifying. Psalm 143 on the, 145 verse 3 on the other hand says this, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. So is God contradicting himself? On one, on one side he's saying you've got to understand what you're worshiping. You've got to understand who God is. But on the other side, it's saying he's so vast, he's so great, he's unsearchable. But when you look at the Hebrew word for unsearchable, it tells us that it's called examination. We've got to find out. It's inviting us to examine it for ourselves. Yes, God's glory is vast, but it is not unreachable. Isaiah got a vision of the unsearchable glory of God. And we're going to turn right now to Isaiah 6, 1 to 3. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6, 1 to 3. And it says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, there was the angels. Each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This was a repetition that they were just pouring out. Before the throne, the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Same thing over and over. They're not just saying any old thing, but they are responding to what they see. The angels are responding to what they see in the heavenlies. Their worship to God is not based on what they see in front of them. So when we come to worship God, whether it's a Tuesday or on a Sunday, whenever we come together in harvest groups, what causes us to lay the baggage of the week down? Is it fueled by what we see with our natural eyes? Or are we allowing our spiritual eyes to see the greatness of our God? To take care of those needs around us? To take, are we trusting him to take care of that sickness that we're having to deal with, to take care of those disappointments that we seem to be carrying around, those, those emotional and physical needs that we have, are we trusting him to take care of them? Yes. The angels cry so intensely around the throne. Look at what verse 4 says. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, cried out and the house was filled with smoke. Have you ever been in a building and you feel the vibrations of maybe a car that's outside? This happens. I sit at the desk, you know, in the week and sure enough, we have the Leicester College right next to us and there's a lot of young people out there. And you can guarantee there's probably some young person in their Vauxhall Corsa with the biggest (laughs) pair of speakers in the back of their car. Boom, boom. You can't hear the music, but you hear the boom. And you can feel the building shaking almost. Anybody felt that in their homes? I have. 
But you know what? That shaking has nothing compared to what is happening around the throne of God. The volume of praise and the volume of worship with the angels crying out to God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. We may not see visions like that of the glory of God, but we will find his glory in creation. Psalm 145, 10 to 11 says this, all your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and and talk of your power. Nowadays, you don't have to go far to see the greatness of God in his creation. Before, you would have had to go go on holiday, right? To see all the beautiful attractions. But now you can just put the Discovery Channel on. And you can be in awe of some guy that's gone 500 feet down or maybe a couple of thousand feet down. They put the cameras into the bottom of the ocean that we can see God's greatness in creation. Maybe you're a blue planet documentary kind of person, right? You can see God's creation right on your TV screen. We are without excuse. Psalm 19, one to four says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament, that is the the arch in the sky, shows his handiwork. Another translation says, the sky displays his craftsmanship. Day unto day, at a speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor language, where their voice is not heard. Their line goes out through all the earth on their words to the end of the world. God's glory is seen throughout our world. I'm always put things in perspective when I read that scripture. God, heaven is your throne and earth is your footstool. That's a big set of feet on the earth right now. (laughs) Earth is ginormous. That's a big set of feet up there. Just open your mind and just imagine it for one moment. How big our God is. I want you to take a look at this video right now. This is the science part, okay, that will hopefully just help you to see the bigger picture. Let's take a look. I don't know about you, but when I watched that, it was like, it just opened up my mind. Those things that bog me down are nothing for God to handle, right? Maybe that sickness that we're dealing with, we're worrying, is is God going to heal me? Can he do it? Do you ever question God's greatness? I know I've done it. Do we question God and say, God, can you really do it? I know you said you would, but oh, I don't know. Is this too much for you to handle? And yet we look just now and saw a glimpse of our universe that he created. And we wonder whether God can handle our moments of doubt and of worry. See, we idolize People, we idolize celebrities, sports people. We, we probably look to them more than we would look to God to figure out our problem. Or oh, how did they do it? How did they manage it? And saying, instead of saying, God, can you help me with this situation? Can you help me figure this out, God? Where am I going in life? What career path should I take? What job opportunities should I do, God? It's just weighing me down, Lord. Are you with me? Can you even hear me? And we think God is deaf. But God is always on time. He waits for his right moment. When he comes in that moment and says, now I'm going to do it. 
Why? Because he is God. If he can make a planet the size, that ginormous, trillion, billion size, whatever it was, do you think he can take care of you and much more? He can provide that bill that is just weighing you down. Lord, you know I give, I I honor you, Father. Are you going to do it? Are you going to say, are you going to be true to your word, God? Come on. How awesome is our God? How amazing is our God? Solomon prayed this in his prayer of dedication when he had built the temple for the Lord. And he said this, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. If God's glory is so immense, then we have no excuse to miss it. We've had a revelation of God. That's why you're here. Maybe you're seeking a revelation of God. You've come to the right place. Because here God is. He's in our hearts and in our lives. See, sometimes we can put God to the test. In such a way, if you remember the story of the the, the children of Israel, they were at that point when they sent out 12 spies to spy out the land that God had promised to give them. Ten spies came back and said, oh no, there, you can't do it. There, there's giants, there's, we can't take this land. Two people come back with a good report. They remember what God had done for them previously, how he brought them out of Egypt. They remembered and they would know that nothing is impossible for God. And hear what the Lord says when This is after the spies had come back with a good report. And it says this in Numbers 14, 20 to 23. It says this, then the Lord said, I have a pardon according to your word. But truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these 10 times, God is annoyed at them because they refuse to believe the good report and have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. We can miss out on God's goodness. Because of our negative mindset, because of our small thinking, we can miss out on what God has for him, for us. Remember God's goodness, nothing is withheld. We have to understand the glory of God. We don't want to miss it. The psalmist David first declares the awesome wonders of God in his bold and declarative question when he says in Psalm 89, he says, for who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. That word reverence talks about fear, morally to revere. We are to come with a holy reverence before the Lord. Just listen to this example. Just imagine for a moment a ruler, a respected, powerful leader comes and visits our country. This leader is gifted, knowledgeable man. Everyone in his country knows of his greatness and fame. He is an inventor with the most outstanding, significant contributions and discovery known to man. He is the most outstanding athlete from this country. In fact, no one can compete with him in any arena in life. 
In addition to all this, he is the king and a very wise ruler. At every level and every place in this country, he is given tremendous respect and honor. Great parades and glorious receptions are held in his honor. Now, what would happen if this king were to travel to another country where his position and greatness were unknown? What sort of reception would he receive in a strange country, inferior in every way to his great nation? Although their greatness, greatest men are far below the caliber of this ruler, still this noble king decides to visit as an ordinary man. Without his royal robes, entourage of notability, security forces, counselors and servants, he goes alone. How will he be treated? To put it simply, he will be treated no differently than any other foreigner. Though this man is far greater than the mightiest of the nation, he will be given little or no respect. He may even be treated with contempt at times simply because he is a foreigner. His inventions and scientific discoveries have greatly benefited this nation, yet still the people do not know him and therefore do not give him the respect and honor he deserves. Now hear the account of John regarding Jesus. In John 1, 10 to 11, he says is this. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yes. And the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. It's very sad to see that the one who created the universe and the world that we live in did not get the reception he deserved. Yes. Even worse, he came to his own. The ones who were waiting, who were watching in the temple, wondering when is he going to arrive. People would have spoke of his coming, attended the temple, prayed to him, yet did not recognize him when he came. See, the Israelites were guilty of being ignorant of the greatness of God. It's no wonder they could not give him the reverence he deserved. And God explained it this way in Isaiah 29, 13, when it says, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips... But I've removed their hearts far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Notice he said, their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. He is saying that they have reduced the glory of God to the glory of corruptible man. They serve God in the image they had created. Remember the golden calf? They created something in their own image to according to their own standards instead of the true image of who God really is. See, this was not just a problem in Jesus' time, in Jesus' generation, but we can see that it began with Adam in the Garden of Eden when he sought wisdom from a serpent. Genesis 3, 5 says, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. Remember that story? The serpent speaking to Adam, and you will be like God, knowing good, and evil. See, in the vanity of, God, of um, Adam's own mind, he re- reduced God to man's level. When Moses climbed Mount Sinai to receive the word of God, a number of days had passed by. Remember, the children, the people had gathered together. Instead of waiting to hear from the Lord, they chose to gather together in their own wisdom and understanding, which resulted in a golden calf. They created something that they had been used to seeing. They would have lived in Egypt surrounded by idols. This was something that was familiar to them. They reverted to the familiarity. 
And in that familiarity, they had created God in their own mind. So when the golden calf was made, it was presented to the people. And it was declared, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in verse 5 of Exodus 32, it said that their leader declared, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Not the Lord, but this Lord. The Hebrew word for Lord that they used was the word Yehovah, also known as Jehovah or Yahweh. This word is defined as the existing one. This was the proper name of the one true God. So the word that they would have, sh- they would have used for the God, they now reverted it to this God. Moses preached using this name. Abraham made a covenant with this name. In fact, the name of Jehovah or Yahweh was so sacred that the Hebrew scribes were, were not permitted to write the name in full. They had to take out the vowels. Such was the reverence and respect for the name of the Lord. Now today we live in a world where the name of Jesus is so widely said. Not used with respect. It's on our TVs, it's in our movies, it's in our comments, in conversation. The enemy has dragged the name of our precious Lord through the gutter of people's mouths. You may have a friend, an acquaintance, that has no problem with using the name of Jesus. I grew up with a mum that would stop people and say, oh, do you mind not saying the name of Jesus like that? It means a lot to me. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. And we learned as kids that that name is to be precious. It's to be hallowed. It's to be honored. It's to be given the reverence that is deserved. You have every right to say if it's a friend, they'll respect you. For you to say to them, do you mind not saying the name of Jesus that way? When they're saying it here, there, and everywhere, and... I am so tempted. I have not done it yet. But when somebody keeps shouting out the name of Jesus, not because they know him, but because they're annoyed at something or they're disgruntled or they've stubbed their toe or I just want to go up to them and say, what is it? What is it what you want? Jesus is listening and he's asking you, what do you want? I'm not saying it with arrogance. I'm not saying that I'm better than you. I know more than you. I know the God. I'm not saying it that way. But they don't know any different. And how are they to know if we don't tell them? Romans 10, 14 says this. How then shall they call on him in whom they, they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We've got to be bold in letting them know that that name means something to us. We don't want to miss the glory of God in our lives. You see, when the angels were around the throne in Isaiah 6, what did they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled 
with his glory. But shouldn't they have said holiness? Right? They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with your, not holiness, but glory. See, I believe that they were seeing something beyond. When we allow God's holiness in our lives to dig out that sin and that rottenness in our hearts and make us brand new, then God's glory is reflected in my life and in my heart. So what they were seeing was the glory of God is in Zimbabwe. Because there's people, there's a group of people there that have made a decision to follow Jesus, to allow his holiness to work in through their lives. They may not be perfect, but they've made that decision to allow God to work in their hearts in such a way that it creates the glory of God. So every person they come in contact with, they're sharing a bit of the glory of God. In Australia, the same thing is happening. In America, in Canada, in India, in Leicester. When we leave this place today, when we make that decision and say, God, I am a sinner. Forgive me. I repent of my ways. Father, I just lay everything at your feet. I am in awe of you, oh God. How awesome in this place, mighty God. And when I allow God to come to cleanse me, to purify me, then I go back. I go out. I see the checkout person in Asda. I say, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Have you had a long shift? I might get an opportunity to invite them to come to church. And that's God's glory being reflected. Maybe you're in university or in a workplace where you know there are people that need to know about the Lord. They will learn from us. We may be the only person they get in contact with to see the glory of God working in and through the earth. Father, reveal your glory in us. God wants us to be a people that will reveal his glory. Genesis 1, we are created in his image. We are part of his creation that should reveal his glory. We don't add to the glory. We reveal his glory. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We become in such a way that we reflect the glory of God in our lives. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Greek word for glory talks about dignity, glory and honor and praise and worship. So, Lord, today I give you honor. I give you praise. From glory, God, I give you glory. I give you praise. I give you honor. I go back, God, I'm going back and forth, back and forth. And the more we do that, the more we become like Christ. It's the idea of continuous praise, continuous worship before our God. See, sin is the thing that will only stop us from seeing that reflection of God in our lives. We have hope in Romans 3.23 when Paul wrote, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We recognize that, but we don't stay in that sin. We have to recognize that we're in need of a savior. So that with that habitual sin that we can't seem to break out of, we can't seem to push through that weakness in our life that keeps pulling us down, we have to be honest with God 
and tell him how it is. God can deal with your honesty. Sometimes we feel like God can't cope with it. But you know what? He's got some big shoulders. He's got big feet and he's got even bigger shoulders. He can cope with your honesty. You see, we have to deal with the sin because if we don't, there are consequences. And this is the part that sometimes we neglect. 2 Thessalonians 1 at the end of verse 7 says this, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flame and fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. And those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. It is possible to come to church Sunday, week in, week out, and miss the very glory of God. We have to ask God, Father, forgive us. Clean me, purify me, create in me a clean heart, that psalmist said. Renew a right spirit within me, God. You see, when Isaiah got a glimpse of the glory of God, this was his response. In verse chapter 6, verse 5, it says this. So Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. When it was taken away, it meant that it was cut off. It is cut off. A sinful man in in the presence of God is doomed, but God takes the initiative to provide an atonement and a cleansing for us. As long as we are willing to recognize and express remorse that we have done wrong. Just like God provided that atonement for Isaiah, he provides it for us. It is never too late. It is never too late to come before the Lord Colossians 2, 13 to 14 says this, And you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made all together with him, having forgiven all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it away out of, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That is the hope of glory that we can have. That is the hope of Christ working through our lives. No matter what sin is in there, God can take care of it. We just have to be willing to say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender, I surrender, I surrender, Lord, to you. Here are some things that we can learn from the angels that were around the throne. Number one, they they worship God for who he was. How often have we showed irreverence to God by our attitude of worshiping him? Oh gosh, Lord, not that song again. That worship leader, I don't, I don't like her. She just goes a bit crazy sometimes, Lord. I can't focus. Yes, yet it was God's grace and mercy that carried us through the week. When we come with heavy burdens and we think, God, I, I just don't feel it today. And yet it was his mercy and grace that carried us through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, got us to Sunday. We have so much to be thankful for. We can easily forget what God has done. Number two, they showed respect for his glory. 
And what they did was that their wings would have covered their face out of, out of respect for the glory of God. Respect for the house of Lord can be seen by how we treat him. Are we on time for worship? Do we make it to pre-prayer? Do, do we make it a priority to come to Harvest Group? Yes. Come on, Tuesday night live. Do we make it a priority? How do we treat each other? Do we build each other up or do we tear each other down? Are we respecting the glory of God by being the example to those who don't know him? Number three, they showed reverence by being modest. The Bible says that they would have covered their feet. The King James, the Spirit-filled Life Bible would even go as far as to say they would cover their, their, their body as a sign of modesty in the presence of God. Modesty. In the house of God. That sounds like almost like an old-fashioned word, right? Ladies, I know our brothers are here. And if they weren't here, I would probably spell it so clear there'll be no mistake in it. (laughs) It's time to cover up. Come on. There are some things. Can I talk to you ladies for a moment? Thank you, Trisha. There are some things that are meant to be a mystery, right, between you and your husband. It's a mystery. It's not meant to be on display. Now, if you're new to Harvest City Church, okay, we don't normally talk like this. But I don't get to preach often, so I'm going to make the most of it, okay? (laughs) But we are to cover up. Some necklines need to go up a bit further, even if you're not married. Come on. That mystery is between you and the creator of the universe until you find that man that God has called you to be with. Right? Some knee lengths need to go longer. Come on. This is the awesome house of God. This is his sanctuary. So we don't show up like we're going to some nightclub. And if you're living that lifestyle, then, you're, then your life is not right with the Lord. I'm not messing around. This might be my last message I'll ever speak to you, okay? I'm going to make the most of it. But there is modesty in the house of the Lord. God knows I have a wardrobe full of clothes. I like my, my fashion. I like to look up. I like to read about it. But you know what? You can dress fashionably and be modest at the same time. Can I get an amen from you ladies? Come on. Let's be modest and reverent in the house of the Lord. And you husbands, I'm not letting you off either. You check your wife before she goes out that door. You might see something that you don't want the whole world to see. See you say, honey, you better come back in. You need to change that dress. Maybe you need to put something on a little bit longer because that's only for me to see. Come on. Husbands, would you agree with me? This is the presence of God we're talking about. This is the almighty God that we are talking about. So we have modesty as we enter before the throne of God. And as we bring our worship and praise before him, we show respect by being modest in the house of the Lord. Amen. Number four, with two wings, they flew. Giving instant obedience. They were ready to be obedient. Once Isaiah was cleansed, he heard the voice of the Lord saying, Isaiah 6 verse 8, and it says this, And I also heard the voice of the Lord 
saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then Isaiah said, what does he say? Say it. Here am I, send me. We come into the presence of God. Say, Lord, I am ready for service. God, I'm signing up. I'm not looking back, I'm looking forward. Father, I have seen a glimpse of your glory. And I want more of it in my life. In such a way, God, that it would rock me to the core. That I would know what it is to speak up for righteousness and for truth in this land. Father, here am I. Send me. Maybe there's been an area in your life that has been irreverent to God. I want us to take this moment just to bow our heads. As we're in the house of the Lord, I believe the Lord is here. Maybe there's been a disregard for the, the fear of the Lord. Lee spoke a great word at TNL two Tuesdays ago. I want to encourage you, if you missed it, I want you to get it. Because it just brought home more so than ever that how I live my life is the example for my kids and my kids, my future kids to come. Maybe there's an area of sin in your life that you can't seem to break away from. I want to open up this altar area that you would say, God, I want to unveil you to unveil my eyes this morning. Forgive me, God, if I've, there's been a lack of trust. Forgive me, God, if, if I've let you down in any way. The scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this morning, God, I just focus on you. And I fix my eyes on you, God, and I ask for your mercy. I ask for your grace. Lord, would you touch our hearts? Forgive us, God, when we've let you down. Forgive us, God, when we've said those things, Lord, when we shouldn't have said, oh God. Holy Spirit, come. We want to be a bride that is represented in this city, fathers, that is pure and spotless, Father. So Jesus, when you come and when our time comes for you to take us to glory, God, we will look upon your face and say, how awesome is this place, mighty God. If that's you this morning and you just feel heavy in your heart and you just say, I need to get rid of it. I want to do business with God. I want, I want to be serious with the Lord in such a way that I'm, I am showing everybody that this I want in my life. I want change. I want God to move on my behalf. But first, he's got to deal with our hearts. Are we ready to meet with him this morning? If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come down. You come just as you are.